recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Internet Radio. Today is Friday, March 29, 2013. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. When I first started, um, well, well, when Christian identity found me, I like to say, when I first studied the, the um, Christian identity literature, to see when or not, whether it be um, Compare, Swift, Capt, Balakias, Verbotten, I don't know who wrote Verbotten, Cameron, there, there, there are. Um, I came to certain conclusions, and one of the conclusions was that there were three things, especially concerning two C line identity Christians, right? Because there's a lot of varieties of non C line identity Christians. You had the Ted Whelans that sent Bibles to Nigeria, um, Dave Barleys, and all the other clowns that are really no better than mainstream Methodists or Baptists. But the two seed line variety of Christian identist or, or identity Christian, if you will, I expected all of those people to, um, to to agree on three things, and I would bring anybody else into my fellowship, two seed line or not, that agreed on these three things, and 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 we can have a lot of disagreements over the minor issues of scripture. But three things we can't disagree on because they all matter in the end game, and, and nothing else really matters. I, I don't. What you want to think about um, seven thousand year old events don't really matter if you got your end game right. That Yahshua Christ is God incarnate, God come in the flesh to redeem the children of Israel, exclusively. That that's number one which leads us right to number two, which is the race issue. That Christianity is 100% absolutely exclusively white and that there is no subjective view of what is white. Something's either white or it isn't. A person, a man, who is a little mixed, isn't white. And Christianity is white. The third thing is the Jewish problem. There are no good Jews. There can't be any good Jews because Yahshua Christ told us that there would be no good fruit from this tree forever. There are no exceptions. Nathaniel Katner is a shill. All these other supposedly good Jews... Even the Jews that love to rat out the other Jews and, and, and everybody knows which books and, and papers I'm referring to. They have their motives. There are no good Jews because Jesus Christ told us there wouldn't be. Therefore, we have to ostracize all Jews. We have to put them out of our company. 2 John 9 to 11. 2 John verses 9 to 11 tells us that. The, the, the true men of Judah, the true Judeans, they had their opportunity to convert in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, perhaps the 3rd century A.D. Those who were on the fringes of, of Roman society, 
in, in places like Britain and, and um, Gaul and other diverse places. I, I'm sure they didn't get the gospel message for, for perhaps some decades, and it was scoffed at and mocked. And eventually they all had their chance to convert or to mix their blood with the Edomites and the other races, one or the other. There are no Jews that are Judah today, so there can't be any good Jews. It's that simple. Christ, race, and the Jewish issue. All two seed-line Christian identists, it's a damn shame all Christian identity doesn't agree on those three things, but I expected, I took it for granted that all two seed-line identity Christians agreed on those things. And it's incredible to me that it's not so, obviously, as the program I did with Sword Brethren on my Saturday night program here two weeks ago proves that program has about 1,200 downloads so far. I'm sure it'll get many hundreds more before it runs its course. Tonight I'm going to talk about scatterers and gatherers. And and we're going to talk about Amos. We're going to get to Amos part eight, or part nine, I'm sorry. But first I would like to talk about scatterers and gatherers. Yahshua Christ links three concepts in Matthew chapter 12. Those three concepts are scattering and gathering, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and good and bad tares. And I will quote from the King James Version. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, I'm quoting the King James throughout this entire presentation, shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. In another place, in another place in Matthew, Yahshua again mentions gathering, along with good and corrupt trees, where he links these two concepts with two others, which are the straight gate and the false prophets, who were not truly sheep, but who were really wolves. And I'll read from Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree 
bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Here's the point even a lot of in Christian identity don't even get. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Because Christ himself has linked these things together for us, it is not improper for us to list and to evaluate all of these basic concepts in order to determine just what these symbols which he uses represent. First, we shall list the concepts once more, but this time altogether. One, scattering and gathering. Two, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Three, the straight gate. Four, false prophets. Five, good and corrupt trees. While many men have attempted to understand these things by themselves, they can only truly be understood in relation to one another. Because Yahshua Christ related these things to one another. So now we will discuss them one at a time. Scattering and gathering. The same Yahshua Christ who said in John chapter 10, verse 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And in verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and go out and find pasture. That same Yahshua Christ also said in Matthew chapter 15, I am not sent, but under the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The same Yahshua Christ who said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine, is that God incarnate who said to the children of Israel in Amos 3, 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The children of Israel were punished in the destruction of their ancient kingdom being cast out from the sight of Yahweh their God and taken into captivity by the Assyrians and Babylonians. Yet Israel, the children of Israel, the seed of Israel, a promised a later regathering and a return to Yahweh their God in Christ. All of the promises of this later gathering of Israel are exclusive to Israel. For that reason, the Apostle Paul Later writes in Romans chapter 8, from verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified, Paul speaking prophetically. These can only be those same people of Amos 3, 2. For you only 
have I known of all the families of the earth, the children of Israel. Paul's epistles demonstrate that in many other places, that those were the people to whom his mission was. Psalm 106, verse 47. Save us, O Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the heathen or the nations. The word can be translated either way. To give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be Yahweh, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, truly, praise ye Yahweh. Psalm 107. O give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. The point is that this idea of gathering is a promise made only to the children of Israel and made over and over again. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 43, 5. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed meaning the seed of the children of Israel, from the east and gather thee from the west. Jeremiah 29, from verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith Yahweh, speaking again to the children of Israel, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations. And from all the places whither I have driven you, saith Yahweh. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Jeremiah 31.10 Hear the word of Yahweh, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Jeremiah 32, from verse 37. Behold, I will gather them, meaning the children of Israel, out of all countries, whither I have driven them, in mine anger, and in my fury, and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Ezekiel chapter 20. From verse 34. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. Why is he doing that with fury poured out? Twice in Jeremiah, and I'll only read it once, we see a promise to the children of Israel. This is important. 
I'll read Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 28. Yahweh says, Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant. Sayeth Yahweh, for I am with thee, for I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven thee, but I will not make a full end of thee. That's why he's gathering the children of Israel with his fury, because he's going to make a full end of all the nations where the children of Israel were driven. Luke chapter 13, verse 27. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves, speaking to the Edomites of Judea, thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. That's the gathering. The same gathering Yahweh promised in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in the Psalms. Christ also discusses in Luke chapter 13. It's not a different gathering. It's the same gathering. Yahweh is God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel. And there are no promises to gather anyone but Israel anywhere in Scripture. In fact, the Scripture says, I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven thee, speaking to the children of Israel. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Of course they do not. So we gather Israelites of Israelites, as the scriptures promise. Therefore, since all of the promises of his regathering are exclusive to the children of Israel, it is only Israel whom the presumed gatherers are obliged to seek out. Attempting to gather anything but sheep to the sheepfold, one is not gathering with Christ. He who gathers the outcasts of Israel. And one makes himself a scatterer rather than a gatherer, gatherer, because he who is not gathering with me scatters. By attempting to add wolves, swine, dogs or sheep, or, or, or I'm sorry, or Wolves, swine, or dogs to the sheepfold, or goats, one surely causes the sheep to scatter. Add a wolf to your flock, the sheep will scatter. Add a dog to your flock, the sheep will scatter. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture because they added dogs to the sheepfold. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh, the God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith Yahweh, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, 
and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith Yahweh. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. I don't see any promises for anybody else. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Yahshua Christ ties the scattering and the gathering in Matthew chapter 12. He ties it to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a facet of the being of Yahweh who demands of the children of Israel in Leviticus chapter 19 to be as holy as he is. From verse 1, And Yahweh spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. The Hebrew word for holy, kadash, Strong's Hebrew number 6918, means sacred, set apart. It's Greek equivalent, which appears in all of these contexts and in most places in the New Testament, is hagios. Hagios more fully means set apart for the purposes of a god, which is the explanation that Thayer's Greek-English lexicon gives. Or devoted to a god, as Liddell and Scott define the word. The only people in all history who were dedicated to the purposes of Yahweh at the behest of Yahweh were those people who were in the loins of Isaac. And in that is the promise to Abraham, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In the ancient world, and this is evident in Greece, and it's evident in Assyria, and it's evident in Babylonia, and it's evident in the Hebrew Old Testament, in the ancient world, when something was set upon an altar of a god and dedicated or devoted to that god, it became the property of that god. So it is when Yahweh demanded that Abraham put Isaac on the altar to sacrifice Isaac. When Abraham made the act of placing Isaac on that altar, Isaac became devoted, dedicated, the property of Yahweh God. Abraham surrendered his son Isaac to God. In a religious act, which signified Abraham's devotion to Yahweh and Yahweh's using Isaac to fulfill the promises to Abraham. But in ancient religion, that's when Isaac became the property of Yahweh. Of the children of Isaac, of the children of Isaac were the children of Jacob to whom the promises fell. The vessels of mercy of Romans chapter 9. 
and the children of Esau, the vessels of destruction of Paul's analogy, which is found in that chapter. That Esau forfeited his birthright because he was a race mixer and took wives of the daughters of Canaan is evident in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 27, where Jacob is told that if he took a wife from the women of his own kinfolk, that the promises to Abraham would fall upon him. And so he did. Paul in Hebrews 12:16 calls Esau a profane person and a fornicator. Fornicator is the word Paul used to signify a race mixer, which is fully evident in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For the children of Israel, this holiness, this being this, this state of being dedicated to the purposes of God. This holiness which they obtained through Isaac is reinforced in Exodus chapter 19, where it is a part of the terms of the Old Covenant, where it says in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's that word Kadash again, a set apart nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. A holy nation in biblical terms means a nation set apart for the purposes of Yahweh God, separated from all other nations, distinct, peculiar. Therefore, Peter, knowing that his intended audience was the children of those same Israelites dispersed in antiquity, and knowing that this plan of God for the children of Israel had not changed with the new covenant, makes a direct appeal to the words of God at both Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, which is a prophecy which also concerns the children of Israel exclusively. And this is found in Peter's first epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says, But you are a chosen race, a chosen generation, in the King James Version, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness, another phrase describing the children of Israel, into his marvelous light. And now the appeal to Hosea, who in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Therefore, blasphemy the Holy Spirit, which... In Matthew chapter 12, Yahshua Christ connects to both scattering and gathering and the making of a tree, good or corrupt. Blasphemy, the Holy Spirit, must mean speaking against the command that Israel be a holy and separate people, which includes the promotion of race mixing, primarily. The straight gate, 
Yahshua Christ is the door of the sheep. He only came for the sheep. No one gets to the Father except through him, his words. Of course, he was not talking to anyone but Israel when he spoke this parable. And so no one else was ever a candidate. For Israel alone has the promises of redemption and salvation mentioned throughout the Bible. The city of God described in, in the Revelation has on its gates the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. No one else gets through the door. The gate is straight indeed. False prophets. There are two different types of false prophets described by Paul. Wolves among the sheep seeking to devour the flock. And sheep seeking to make their own way. This is found in Acts chapter 20, from verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That can only describe the children of Israel on both counts. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That's the first type of false prophet. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's the second type of false prophet. Here Christ warns about wolves in sheep's clothing, the first type, seeking to devour the sheep. It is the averred purpose of Yahshua Christ to gather Israel. Wolves seek to enter the sheepfold in order to rob the sheep. Yahshua Christ linked the false prophets who are inwardly ravening wolves to those who would gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, the false prophets would be those universalists who would insist upon gathering something other than sheep into the sheepfold. These are those who would cause the scattering and destruction of the sheep by admitting goats, wolves, swine, and dogs. Christ never told his followers to feed anything but sheep. And those sheep are not wolves, dogs, goats, pigs, or swine who are fed and then somehow become sheep. That concept is found nowhere in Scripture. They must be sheep in the first place, and then they must be fed. You don't feed a pig into a sheep. No matter how much food you give a dog, it doesn't turn into a sheep. That's evolution. Christians should reject evolution too. Following his resurrection, Yahshua told Peter three times that if he loved him, he must feed his sheep, as it is recorded in John twenty one fifteen, John twenty one sixteen, and John twenty one seventeen. The story of the Israelites as the sheep of Yahweh God 
goes back far into the Old Testament. And therefore, no one else but Israel could be his sheep. Psalm 74 from verse 1. This is a psalm of Asaph. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. This mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations. Even all that the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary, thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs, the wolves in sheep's clothing. Psalm 74 defines the children of Israel as the congregation as those who are redeemed, as those who were purchased as old, as the rod of Yahweh's inheritance, inheritance, as Mount Zion, and as the sheep of his pasture. All those terms only apply to the children of Israel anywhere and everywhere they are mentioned in Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 50, from verse 17. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. Assyria was already destroyed by the time Jeremiah wrote this. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation. And he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Ephraim and Gilead. The sheep are only the children of Israel. The lost sheep are only Israel, the scattered sheep. Ezekiel 34. And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say unto them, Thus saith Yahweh God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered. Because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. And just because the beasts of the field the sheep, that doesn't make the beasts of the field into sheep. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yeah, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them.
In many other passages of both the Psalms and the Prophets, the children of Israel are identified as the sheep, the lost sheep, the scattered sheep, the flock of Yahweh. Thus they are also in the New Testament. For Yahshua Christ identified them in that very same manner. Psalm 80, a psalm of Asaph. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Yahweh of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Psalm 80 connects the sheep to the vine. Psalm 80 equates the sheep to the vine. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest room before it and did cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the boughs thereof were like goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs under the sea and her branches under the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. The boar out of the wood does waste it. And the wild beast of the field devours it. But that doesn't turn the swine and the beast into sheep. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. And the vineyard which thy right hand is planted and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon man of thy... Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. So we will not... So will not we go back from thee? Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Yahweh of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Psalm 80 equates the vine, the vine of Israel, to the sheep. Real simple concept. That leads us to the next section. Good and corrupt trees. Psalm 80 tells us that Israel is a vine planted by Yahweh. It links the sheep of Yahweh's pasture with the branches of the vine, 
which leads us to the last item on our list of related concepts. As Christ himself related them in Matthew chapters 7 and 12. As the psalm tells us, the vine is the race of people that Yahweh brought up out of Egypt. Christ later said to his apostles in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. The Adamic race is nothing without their God and without keeping his commandments. And the words of Christ here are very much like that first promise of salvation to the Adamic race. It is found in Genesis chapter 3 from verse 22. And Yahweh God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. In the Garden of Eden there were two trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first tree is the tree planted by Yahweh, represented by the wheat of the parable of the wheat and the tares. The second tree is represented by the tares who were sown by the devil. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden for their sinful interaction with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented by the serpent, which Revelation chapter 12 connects to the devil and to the fallen angels. The man collectively would be saved by grasping onto his own race, the tree of life, which has God as its originator, for Adam was the son of God. Some scoffers might say, well, there were trees good for food in the garden. And there were. After Yahweh planted Adamic man in the garden, Yahweh caused every tree to grow out of the ground which was pleasant to the eye and good for food. After he planted the Adamic man in the garden, those trees represent the Adamic nations. They're not unrelated. When the children of Israel were found mingling with the Canaanite races and adopting their idolatrous practices, Yahweh exclaimed in Isaiah chapter 17, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it with strange slips. Likewise, he exclaimed in Jeremiah chapter 2, from verse 21, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? Israel, taken into captivity, is portrayed as a ruined vine and also as a ruined fig tree in several places in the prophecies of Ezekiel, in Joel, and in Nahum. In Matthew chapter 12, immediately after explaining that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would not be forgiven, Yahshua Christ said, 
Either make the tree good and this fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and this fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is speaking against Yahweh's command of the separation, his command of separation for the children of Israel. Yahshua related that to the making of the tree, either good or corrupt. The only way that man can make the tree, the vine of Israel, anything, is to breed and to multiply. Therefore, when ancient Israelites engaged in idolatry, they began race mixing. And they set Yahweh's vine with strange slips or turned it into the degenerate plant of a strange vine. The proof of that interpretation is in Hosea chapter 5 from verse 7. They have dealt treacherously against Yahweh, for they have begotten strange children. These strange slips and the leaves of this degenerate plant of a strange vine are bastards. Yahweh pronounces in the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 23, that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. The phrase tenth generation is an allegory which means forever, since after ten generations, a bastard is still a bastard. But there is no correcting such hybridization. Whatever comes of it is no longer the creation of God, but some form of corruption of that creation. Paul speaks of the chastisement of the children of Israel in Hebrews chapter 12, and he says in verse 8, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. All meaning all the children of Israel. Salvation is destined for sons and not for bastards as Paul explained in chapter 2 of that same epistle from verse 10, where he says, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies, and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which he is not ashamed to call him brethren. A bastard is not of one, or it would not be a bastard. And it would not be contrasted to sons in Hebrews 12a. Therefore, Yahshua Christ said in Matthew chapter 15, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. In the end, there is only one tree in the garden of God. And its twelve fruits 
represent the 12 tribes of Israel. From Revelation chapter 22, from verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. So the tree of life is an allegory for something much greater than a tree. Because it's on both sides of the river. It's in the midst of the street. It's all over the place. Which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For Yahweh God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Therefore, those who are truly gatherers are gathering with Christ, and they are gathering sheep. Those who do not gather with him are scatterers, because they attempt to gather into the sheepfold something other than sheep. Wolves, dogs, goats, swine. They don't belong in a sheepfold. Half wolves, half dogs, half goats, half swine. They don't belong in a sheepfold. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh. A scatterer is, in essence, a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit. A man attempting to gather grapes from thorns being on a wide path to destruction by bringing wolves in among the sheep, which results in the making of corrupt trees and setting the garden of God with strange slips. Gatherers must not keep company with scatterers. I will not have company with scatterers, and the scatterers must be identified. That's the way it is. And when the scatterers are identified, they must be ostracized by the shepherds. That's their obligation. that the shepherds of the Old Testament period didn't ostracize the scatterers is what got us into this mess. The scatterers must be identified and they must be ostracized. They must be set apart so that the gatherers can go upon their work of gathering. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So with this, we will proceed with our presentation of Amos. From the King James Version, Amos chapter 6, 
verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, who are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Amos is addressing the rulers, the societal elites in Israel. The house of Israel had come to these people. That does not mean that these people themselves were not of Israel. It rather means that they had come to the control of the kingdom in one way or another. It seems, from 1 Chronicles 5.17, that genealogy still played an important role in reckoning the people. In spite of Israel's having long before gone off into paganism, it must be noted, however, that the books of Chronicles were compiled from what records remained after the return of portions of Levi, Benjamin, and Judah from Babylon. This is easily demonstrable because it is evident in the listings of the tribes in the opening chapters of 1 Chronicles that they carry on down those genealogies in the opening chapters of 1 Chronicles carry on down all the way to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that is when the books were compiled. After describing the inheritance of the children of Gad, 1 Chronicles 5.17, that passage says, All these were reckoned by genealogies in the days of Jotham, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel. The reference to Jeroboam is that to the king of Israel who ruled during the time of the ministry of Amos. He was a contemporary with Jotham, king of Judah. Verse 2. Pass ye unto Calneh, and see, and from thence go ye to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms? Or their borders greater than your borders? Calneh was one of the great cities of Babylonia, and one of the original cities of the empire of Nimrod. The city Kalna is mentioned among the conquests of the Assyrian kings, Shalmaneser III, Shalmaneser III and Tiglath-Pileser III. Hamath the Great was the city in northern Syria, which seems to have been the northern extent of the empire of David. It was restored to Israel in this very time that Amos is writing by Jeroboam II. That's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 28. Evidently, the surrounding nations were not as well off as the children of Israel were at this time. Yet not long after Amos had written his prophecy, Calneh, Hamath, and Gath all fell to the Assyrians, and Israel was soon to follow. Over 30,000 people were deported by, from Hamath by Tiglath-Pileser III, who ruled Assyria from 744 to 727 B.C. Sometime before, much of Samaria was deported by Sargon. Sargon II, circa 721 B.C. The Septuagint reads these first two verses quite differently, and we shall repeat them here. 
Woe to them that set at naught Zion. And the trust in the mountain of Samaria. They have gathered the harvest of the heads of the nations. Something we don't see in the King James. And they have gone in themselves. O house of Israel, pass by all of you and see, and pass by thence to Emetraba. And thence descend to Gath of the Philistines, the chief of all these kingdoms. See if their coasts are greater than your coasts. The Septuagint reading of Amos is proper. If the Septuagint reading of Amos is proper, then the statement that they have gathered the harvest of the heads of the nations seems to refer to the restoration of much of the former empire of David under Jeroboam II at this very time when Amos prophesied, which is described near the end of 2 Kings chapter 14. That word of the Septuagint, emetraba, that word is exemplary of the problems of how names were frequently interpreted in the Septuagint. The first two syllables, emat, E-M-A-T, are from the Hebrew form for the name Hamath. The last two syllables are from the Hebrew form of the word Rab, which means to be a chief or to be great. So the word properly appears in the King James Version English as Hamath the Great, referring to the city Hamath. What the translators of the Septuagint from Hebrew into Greek did was not wrong. They just called it Emat Rabbah. They transliterated it rather than translating it. It was colloquial, but the meaning is lost in the rendering, and the identification of the city is not as clear. That happens quite often in the Septuagint. Verse 3. Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. Unrighteous people do not imagine that the day of their punishment shall come. And they continue to act unrighteously. In essence, mocking and scoffing at God. We see that all over America today and Europe. Yet the subsequent reading of the verse is, and I quote, Ye who are approaching the evil day, who are drawing near and adopting false Sabbaths. And I won't even comment on that. It is what it is. Amos, chapter 6, verse 4. That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches. In that passage, deception has lived delicately on their couches. And eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall. That chant to the sound of the viol, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Now the Septuagint has that verse. Who excel in the sound of musical instruments. They have regarded them as abiding, not as fleeting. And the Septuagint makes no mention of David. Verse 6. They drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. 
but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. The reference to the affliction of Joseph is a reference to the poverty of many of the people of the land. As the wealthy in Israel, those who are being addressed here, those who are addressed here from the first chapter, from the first verse of this chapter, enjoy the fruits of that land. In Amos chapter 8, we shall see this explained by Yahweh through the prophet where he says in part from verse 4, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. Saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? They only care about their trade, about their merchandise. And the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. Sounds like the Jewish merchants of today. With opulence comes apathy. When men are successful, they build golf courses and go fox hunting or yachting. They collect riches under themselves. And the material things which they acquire become their gods. Rather than working to uplift their less fortunate brethren, they seek to rule over and police them so that they may protect their wealth and their positions, which then leads them to tyrannize their own countrymen and enrich themselves even further. Certainly the enemies of Yahweh our God have, ha have had a hand in this. However, the children of Israel themselves, those who were successful amongst us, those who become wealthy amongst us, are just as much at fault. And they too allow the enemies of God to come to rule over the children of Israel because of the greedy and opportunistic among their own number. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Yahweh warns the children of Israel not to forget him when they become wealthy, but rather to use that wealth to build his kingdom. From Deuteronomy 8.11, this is a long passage. Beware that thou forget not Yahweh thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget Yahweh thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, 
and do thee good at the later end. And now say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember Yahweh thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do all, at all forget Yahweh thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall utterly perish. As the nations which Yahweh destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient under the voice of Yahweh your God. Amos chapter 6, verse 7. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. Again, the Septuagint reading is quite different, although the message is the same, where it says, Therefore now shall they depart into captivity from the dominion of princes, and the neighing of horses shall be cut off from Ephraim. Where Breton has, from the dominion of princes, the Greek may just as well be read, by the chief of rulers, referring to the kings of Assyria. So we see the result of not abiding in the warnings of Deuteronomy chapter 8, concerning the wealth and increase which Yahweh our God provides us, that men think that they gain that wealth by their own hand. This same thing is happening in America today. Men should spend their wealth and their leisure building God's kingdom and not their own, and helping their kinsmen rather than pursuing their own lusts and entertainments. That's what these first opening verses of Amos are about. Men that think they're better than the surrounding nations who don't see the judgment of Yahweh forthcoming, who lie upon beds of ivory, who live delicately on their couches, who eat the lambs out of the flock, who lay around and make musical instruments and enjoy their musical instruments, who drink wine and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. These are the, the activities of the wealthy men of that time. They weren't using their wealth and their leisure time to care for the poor and the needy, to build the kingdom of God, to look out for their brethren. They were using it for their own lusts and entertainments. And for that reason is Yahweh pronouncing this judgment upon them. Amos chapter 6, verse 8. Yahweh God is sworn by himself, saith Yahweh the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. The reference to a city in verse 8 is to Samaria, the capital city of Israel. 
the city was besieged by Shalmaneser V for three years. In 2 Kings, we find that account in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. And it was taken by his successor, Sargon II, circa 722 or 721 B.C. An inscription left by Sargon II explains that once the city fell, 27,290 of its citizens were taken into captivity to Assyria. And others, enough to form, as the inscription says, a contingent of 50 chariots, were forced into the Assyrian army. It also states that the peoples from other parts of the empire were resettled in Samaria. And an Assyrian governor was placed over the city at this time. This must have happened at least 30 years after Amos completed his prophecy, since Amos wrote in the days of Jeroboam II, who ruled Israel until about 753 B.C. Amos chapter 6, verse 9. And it shall come to pass, if there were ten men in one, if ten men remain in one house, that they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burns him, to bring out the bones out of the house. And they shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue. For we may not make mention of the name of Yahweh. The Septuagint reads the beginning of the verse of verse 10. But a remnant shall be left behind, and a relation shall take them, and shall strenuously endeavor to carry forth their bones from the house. And one shall say to the heads of the house, Is there yet anyone else with thee? A remnant of Israel was left behind in the city by Sargon. And after his inscription describes the number of those carried away captive and the number of those taken for the Assyrian army, it states that he, and I quote, made the remaining inhabitants assume their social positions and that he put them under tribute. ancient Near Eastern texts relating to the Old Testament, pages 284 and 285. The text here in Amos infers the cremation was used to dispose of the dead in the time of war, where the city was under siege. They burned them and looked to take the bones out of the house. I won't say what they did with the flesh. It's a time of siege. The later part of verse 10 indicates that the children of Israel in their distress would not call upon Yahweh their God. Even in their distress, they say, hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of Yahweh. Perhaps there's an element of shame. Yet we must also bear in mind 
that the greater number of them had been practicing paganism for well over 200 years. Since the kingdom was divided and Jeroboam I instituted the priesthood and the worship of the golden calves. Amos chapter 6, verse 11. For behold, Yahweh commands, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. And the Septuagint has verse 12 to read. Will horses run upon rocks? Will they refrain from neighing at mares? For ye have turned judgment into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. Verse 13. Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? This reflects the attitude which Israel was warned about. In Deuteronomy 8.17, where Yahweh says, And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Verse 14, But behold, I will raise, raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith Yahweh the God of hosts. And they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of the wilderness. This nation is, of course, Assyria. We have already seen much evidence in this presentation of Amos that the children of Israel had held and occupied many of the cities of Syria as far north as Hamath, of which the border was over 120 miles north of Damascus and 250 miles north of Jerusalem. The reference to the river of the wilderness seems to be a reference to the river of Egypt or Sihor which we see in Joshua 3.13 where it says Sihor which is before Egypt and in Jeremiah 2.18 where it mentions the waters of Sihor Sihor was the name for the canal of Egypt the easternmost branch of the Nile so this verse seems to be describing that Yahweh would afflict the children of Israel from the northernmost borders of the empire of David to the southernmost frontier, the river of Sihor, the river of the wilderness. Amos, chapter 7, verse 1. Thus hath Yahweh God showed unto me, and behold... He formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the later growth. And lo, it was the later growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Yahweh God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. Yahweh repented for this. It shall not be, saith Yahweh. This is reminiscent 
of what I believe is the parallel prophecy in Joel chapter 1, where Joel, in, in Joel, Yahweh says, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Has this been done in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the pommel worm has left, the locust has eaten. And that which the locust has left, the canker worm has eaten. And that which the canker worm has left, the caterpillar has eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all you, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come upon my land. Joel also talking about the Assyrians in the immediate sense. Strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he has the cheek of a great, the cheek teeth of a great lion. He has laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He has made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. This prophecy in Amos, like all of the prophecies concerning the great day of judgment of the people of Yahweh, seems to be a dual prophecy corresponding to the judgment against the mountains of Israel in the later days, such as which we see in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. As we discussed at great length in our presentation of Joel here a year ago, the locusts caterpillars, pommel worms, and canker worms. The great army which Yahweh sends among his people, Joel 2.25, represent alien races. Here at Amos, we see the grasshoppers did not come to devour the land until the later growth, after the king's mowings. This seems to indicate that the government gets its share of the produce of the people first. And then the aliens eat up whatever is left. This is precisely what we perceive of our nat national situation today. After the swarms of the enemy have come in like a cloud to cover the land. Ezekiel 38. Verses 9 and 16. Amos chapter 7, verse 4. Thus hath Yahweh God showed unto me, and behold, Yahweh God, God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then I said, O Yahweh God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The people of Israel and Samaria have been greatly reduced from their former glory. Amos must have known the many scriptures which prophesy great things for God's people. And he wondered how they may achieve those things in their condition as he saw them at this time. He expected them to be raised up. 
verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 6. Yahweh repented this. This also shall not be, saith Yahweh God. The Septuagint has verses 4 through 6 thus, and I quote, Thus has Yahweh showed me, and behold, Yahweh called for judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and devoured Yahweh's portion. Then I said, O Yahweh, cease, I pray thee, who shall raise up Jacob, for he is small in number? Repent, O Yahweh, for this, this shall not be, saith Yahweh. In other words, the prophet begging God not to destroy Jacob totally. And Yahweh saying that he won't destroy Jacob totally. The inference seems to be that Israel, the Lord's portion, would be totally devoured. Except that Yahweh decided to leave a remnant. We understand that Yahweh promised in other prophets that Israel surely would always be a nation and would never be destroyed. So the prophet is painting a picture which tells us how close the children of Israel did come to being totally destroyed. Amos 7, verse 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, Yahweh stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And Yahweh said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said Yahweh, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Yahweh divides the people with a plumb line, which ostensibly determines which of them would survive and go into captivity and which of them would remain behind dead or alive. Verse 9. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now the house of Jeroboam is a reference to Jeroboam too, who was king as Amos was prophesying. The places of idolatry would all be destroyed. This did not actually happen though, for some time after most of the children of Israel were taken into Assyrian captivity. In the days of Josiah, who ruled Judah from about 640 to about 609 B.C., we see, as it is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and I quote from verse 1, that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years, and he did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, 
While he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year of his and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they broke down the altars of Baalim in his presence. Josiah would be twenty years old when this happened. And the images that were on high above them, he cut down. I can't help but think about those giant McDonald's signs on a highway. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images, he broke in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali. So it was Josiah, the king of Judah, that broke down all the high places in Israel after most of the Israelites had been taken into captivity. But it nevertheless fulfills the promise of God. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars. I'm sorry, I'm repeating that. From verse 7. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, Judah and Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. From the account of the reign of Hosea in Chronicles, we also see that there was indeed a remnant of Israel left behind by the Assyrians, people who were later known generally as Samaritans. Of course, the later Samaritans, the Samaritans of the time of Christ, also consisted of many Canaanites and of many of the aliens who were brought into the land and resettled there by the Assyrians. Amos chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Bethel was the seat of one of the golden calves set up by Jeroboam I. Therefore, this Amaziah would be one of the priests of the idolatrous priesthood which Jeroboam I instituted at that time nearly 180 years before this Jeroboam reigned and before Amos had written his prophecy. From 1 Kings chapter 12, from verse 26, and Jeroboam, meaning Jeroboam I, the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel after the death of Solomon. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David, If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, 
It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he sent the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So Jeroboam one reinstituted the, the worship of the golden calves, and he did it to create a new state religion for political purposes so that the people would have their allegiance to him. Kind of sounds like IRS 501c3, right? Amos 7, verse 11. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam, meaning Jeroboam II, the Jeroboam who was king at the time of Amos, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. The later part of 2 Kings chapter 14 records the reign of Jeroboam II, the length of his reign, and how he restored the kingdom of Israel to much of its former glory by recovering Damascus and all the coasts of Hamath. However, the account is silent concerning the manner of his death. He was succeeded by his wicked son, Zechariah, who after only six months was publicly executed in a coup by Shalem, the son of Jabath, who usurped the throne. That's described in 2 Kings chapter 15. Shalem's rule was also very brief. He only ruled for a month. The, book of, the books of Chronicles are silent on the lives and the deaths of Jeroboam and his son Zechariah, and also of Shalem and of his successor all the way down to Pekah. So there are several kings missing. The, the accounts of several of the kings of Israel are missing from the books of Chronicles in this period, including Jeroboam II and his son Zechariah. Amos 7, verse 12 Oh, and, and, and the death of Jeroboam to son Zechariah by the sword is the fulfillment of Amos chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, where Yahweh says, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Amos 7, verse 12. Also, Amaziah, Amaziah the priest of the golden calves, at Bethel. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophecy there, but prophecy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Amaziah had informed on Amos for his prophesying by complaining about Amos' message to Jeroboam, the king, 
Now Amaziah plays the other side of the fence and warns Amos of possible danger. Here we see that Bethel is called the king's chapel and the king's court. This demonstrates that the custom initiated by Jeroboam I 180 years before this time had been continued down to this day in the time of Amos throughout the, the, throughout the, the rules of most of the kings of Israel from Jeroboam 1 all the way to Jeroboam 2 and it continued after Jeroboam 2. Picking up from the point where 1 Kings chapter 12 was quoted just a few moments ago when verse 10 of this chapter of Amos was discussed, I will read from verse 32 of that chapter. And Jeroboam, this is after he created the the, the priesthood of the golden calves, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he made. This is the priesthood of this Amaziah 180 years later in Amos chapter 7. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So Jeroboam won had instituted the religion of the golden calves and had burned incense and altered on the altar to the golden calves in Bethel. That's in 1 Kings chapter 12. Here in 2 Kings chapter 14 and in Amos chapter 7, 180 years later, roughly, we see that the kings of Israel are still worshiping the golden calves and have their chapel and their court at Bethel. And Amaziah, the priest of the golden calf, is a priest at Bethel and ostensibly a member of Jeroboam's court, which is how he has access to Jeroboam so that he could inform on Amos. Speaking of Jeroboam too, 180 years after the time of Jeroboam 1, roughly. So we see, so, so for all that time, all of the kings of Israel had their chapels and their court at Bethel and the priesthood of the golden calves and worshipped the golden calves. And, and the books of Kings and Chronicles state consistently that they did not, do away with the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who is Jeroboam one, and kept that cult of the golden calves, that paganism, all through the time of the kingdom of Israel. The entire period of the divided kingdom, through that entire period, the ten northern tribes were practicing idolatry. 
and worshipping the golden calves, among other sins, and bow worship, and other cults. Verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And Yahweh took me as I followed the flock. And Yahweh said unto me, Go, prophecy unto my people Israel. That Amos was chosen to be a prophet, having been a herdsman, seems to be a reproach to those who should have been prophets. Yet it has already been prophesied by Amos, and it was also prophesied by Hosea, that Gilgal, the ancient home of the prophets of Yahweh in Israel, had become corrupted. And that's mentioned in Hosea chapters 4, 9, and 12. It's mentioned in Amos chapters 4 and 5. I will quote Hosea 12 from verse 10, Yahweh speaking. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yeah, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. So the ancient home of the prophets was corrupted. Yahweh got Amos, who was a herdsman, and the gatherer of sycamore fruit, and made him a prophet. There were prophets contemporary to Amos. Hosea and Isaiah were both contemporaries of Amos, but we don't know a whole lot about their background, except that Hosea was told to marry a whore, right? We don't know as much about their background as we know about Amos from his text that I have discerned. Amos 7, verse 16. Now therefore, hear thou the word of Yahweh. Thou sayest, prophecy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line. And thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity for to this land. Amaziah was to be severely punished for attempting to silence Amos, the prophet of Yahweh. His wife would become a whore, and his children would be slain. Amaziah was fortunate to receive such a direct warning. Men today should reconsider what it is they are doing in their own lives when they and their families suffer likewise, when their wives become whores, and when their children die in foreign wars at the behest of the Jews, or in inner cities at the hands of the beasts who most of our pastors are trying to gather into sheep. Thank you for listening. That concludes Amos Part 9. I will be here next week.
with what I believe is the final installment of my presentation of the prophecy of Amos and the last two chapters of his book, 8 and 9. Praise Yahweh, I will be here tomorrow night with Sword Brethren against the Paul Bashers, part 15. Yes, it's going to go on for some time. Thank you and good night.